Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks, formerly known as Front Porch Talks. So glad you're with us today. I'm Pastor Margaret. And I'm Grayson Willis, and happy Easter. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And uh, today we're joined by Lewis Roberts. Lewis, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And uh, Lewis is going to share his testimony with us today. But uh, Pastor Margaret, why don't you start out? Yeah, so we like to start out with just, you know, some lighthearted question that will be easy to answer. So... Lewis, what kind of ice cream do you like? What's your favorite ice cream? Probably chocolate chip cookie dough. Yes. It has to have crunch in it, right? Right, right. There has to be something in it you can... Yeah, Grayson over here, I'm pickling him all the time. He just likes vanilla. Vanilla's no good unless it has chunks of something. Cookie dough, chocolate. What do you think, Grayson? I'm okay with a vanilla without anything in it, so... uh, Yeah. um, Everybody has different things they like, and I certainly um, can agree with you. I'm on your team today on the ice cream. Lewis, just start out telling us a little bit about where you're from and about how you grew up. I'm from Kansas, um, a small town about 50 miles south of Kansas City. I was born at KU Medical Center on July 16th of 1987. Uh, My mother and father were both married the year that I was born, um, and I grew up in a blended, what you would think would to be a normal home, uh, where both parents were were married and supposedly the happy family. And uh, a lot of my peers didn't didn't have parents that were together. Um, some of them didn't ever know one or the other of their parents. Some lived with grandparents. So, you know, um, I always felt like other kids kind of envied the life of having both parents, Mm -hmm. but behind closed doors, it was a much different type of situation. Yeah. Did you have siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. Um, She's almost four years younger than me. Uh, Her name is Lauren. Very good. So tell us a little bit about, you say that it was, you know, behind closed doors, it was not probably what everybody thought. Do you want to share, um, and then you know, share only what you feel comfortable with, but do you want to share a little bit about that and kind of what transpired in the years to come? Um, yeah, uh, basically, like, my mom has been sick all of, all of my life, all of her life, she was she was diagnosed as a diabetic when she was like 12 years old. She had been in and out of a coma several times in her uh, teen years till they got all of the blood sugar figured out. But uh, as with diabetes, it, it kind of uh, kills other parts of the body like the kidneys, your vision, um, blood circulation. Um, so that was always... Um, a big deal in the household, but she always tried to keep it hush-hush like she wasn't ever sick. She mm-hmm. always, 
her saying was, I take a licking and keep on ticking. Mm-hmm. My dad, he worked full time. He was a fabricator and a welder. And so the times that he was not home, mom was home and we were at school and he would be gone before we ever got up from what I can remember. But then he, he had got injured and so he started to draw social security disability, but he was a very stern mm. and one-way type of guy. Mm. Um, he'd run things like a military if he was to ask any of my other family members. Just really wasn't any leeway. He was always so serious. I remember just longing to play ball with him, but it seemed like I was always in his way. And mm. uh, so I kind of started acting out in school and, you know, just being the class clown. And, uh, you know, that didn't get me any of the positive attention that I was needing. Um, but it got me attention, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so it made my school life made my home life rougher because of the way I was acting out. And I was, I remember being so terrified going to school that, you know, I didn't want to go um, because... I feared that it would be the last time that I ever seen my mom because mm-hmm. I knew that she was sick, but she always gave off the vibe like, oh, I'm fine, you know, I take a look and keep on ticking. You know, yeah. it was nothing to her. You know, it was just another day. And she always smiled through the pain. Um, there was many bad days, many days that are just really a blur. Um, I know that she been in and out of the hospital I mean several times in a month sometimes two three times in a week until they ended up keeping her and that was just a real scary time but then over time you know it started to get into like well we weren't worried about it because she always bounces back mm-hmm. you yeah. know and um, so me acting up in school and uh, at home um, both parents were sick, so they just were always in bed, you know, um, uh, with the door shut. I don't know if they were actually just in bed or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that there's been a long history of, of drug abuse on my dad's behalf, and he had been incarcerated. My sister was born in 91, and in 1990, he... Um, he got arrested for uh, drug possession, mm. and he ended up doing like a little over a year incarcerated. And uh, actually, my sister was born during this time of him being locked up, and he supposedly, you know, uh, changed his life. I mean, well, he just went under the radar, you know, whenever he got out, yeah. and uh, hid in the bedroom, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Um, it was always blamed on his Paxil or his blood pressure or something like that, yeah. you know. And so me acting out and mom being sick all the time, uh, they ended up taking me away, uh, as in the juvenile justice authority uh, stepped in. I was in some legal trouble at an early age, um, like nine years of early age hanging around with the wrong crowd um, mm-hmm. and just looking for acceptance yeah. and uh, uh, showing off, you know, trying to get um, recognition. And 
you know, I was getting the laughs and it took me a long time to realize that all those laughs was being laughed at and not, you know, they were, it was a part of the game. I was just their scapegoat. Mm. That's painful. And uh, so well, I was taken away and I was at, it was at nine years old I was went into state's custody and I remember going to the doctor and they said that I had severe scoliosis and um, I had known that I had scoliosis all my life but it had taken a drastic turn for the worst as far as the curvature mm-hmm. in my spine was going um, as I cl- uh, neared my teen years it just progressed and progressed worse um, I was at the time of surgery I had a 76 degree curvature in my spine and uh, I had a 75-25% chance of walking again and a 25-75% chance of not living through the surgery and I made it through the surgery and I'm still in boys homes it took me almost a year to learn how to walk completely on my own strength without a walker or a cane of some sort. I remember many times, you know, um, wondering just where my parents were, you know, and I, I really struggled with that for a long time of, you know, why couldn't they be there for me, you know. Um, they took me away, and my sister, she got to stay there. Mm. So what's the difference, you know, what? and I would just was like the bad seed, mm. you know, and uh, so I wanted nothing to do with trying to work these programs. I thought I was invincible after I had this surgery, you know, I, I wasn't hunched over and I wasn't the crippled kid anymore, you know, and so I remember a, a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of loneliness, you know, uh, my mom was getting worse um, her health was getting worse. She was in and out of rehabilitations and and stuff like that for her health. And she ended up going on kidney dialysis uh, around the same time of this, as me having the surgery. So they didn't really have time to come and see me when there was opportunity. Yeah. Because of her sickness. Yeah. And so, you know, I dealt with that. In the worst of ways. Yeah. So what did it look like as you progressed into your teen years and into your 20s? I ended up taking charges for my dad after spending several years in and out of boys' homes. Um, I finally found a program that I I snowed the program, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I just did what I had to do to get by. Yeah. And uh, I was released from there and... Um, it wasn't even 10 months after my release from those boys' homes, and they let me back into my parents' custody that I caught some charges, and I took charges for my dad. And sh- shortly after, just a few months after that, um, uh, I'm doing time for, for my own charges plus my dad's charges. And I took those charges to, so that he could be the man in the house and he could take care of my mom while... I went and did this all over again, Mm. and um, it backfired on me. Um, She ended up passing away January 17th, 2005, while I was incarcerated. I got out several months later, 
about seven months later, and I moved to a town with my dad that I never had been to. Things were so much different. His drug addiction was full-blown, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was, um, I kept it cordial. You know, I had a lot of questions, but I knew that I couldn't ask these questions because it's going to be physical if he lies to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so I held in a lot of things, and uh, he threw me out um, several times. Um, I remember being uh, being thrown out in November, and it was like, 33 degrees outside and it had been raining for like three days and I just got off work and I got home and he was coming down and I told him that and that was probably not the yeah I told him to go to bed and that was the wrong thing to say to him Um, he threw me out in the almost freezing rain with uh, basketball shorts and uh, a tank top and flip-flops no phone not my wallet None of my clothes for work tomorrow. And I told him that I was going to call. He's like, call him, tell him there's nothing here. You know, so I struggled with that. Um, being homeless, not wanted, had nowhere to go. Um, so I, good thing I had a job. That's what kept me out of the weather. Yeah. And I uh, saved up some money, got more clothes, started all over. So starting over has been um, something that I've gotten used to over my life. Yeah. So I think that kind of, from what I um, remember, there was some more charges, right? And yes. What happened? Just share with us what happened in that round of charges. The last, the last mm-hmm. go around, I got busted for distribution in 2017. And I was looking at 96 to 144 months. And 96 months is almost nine years. Mm-hmm. And 144 months is just several months shy of, I think, 14 years. And so if I had I had to do what they call a pre-sentencing investigation, PSI, mm-hmm. which they do a full background check of any charges, and they were going to stick me to the wall. They were going to give me all that and some. And luckily... Luckily, no, not luck. It was God's grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all God's grace that I had kept my nose clean and out under the radar for 10 years and in not receiving any more charges, I just ended up getting probation for two years of probation. Wow. And during this time, I was still, you know, I didn't learn my lesson. I'm still playing the game, yeah. getting high and all uh I'll never forget the couple weeks before I actually got locked up. My dad had a valve replacement, um, some heart surgery, and um, he had a defibrillator pacemaker put in. And um, he was real worried about, uh, about not making it through that, and he really wanted me to be involved. And it, despite me having... Um, to see my parole officer, or probation officer at that time, I went and spent that time with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to jail two weeks later. But the weekend that he got out of the hospital, everything went well. I remember him coming to my house, and he helped me fix my furnace. And um, we got into it. We were getting high and for about three days. 
and um, no sleep, you know, and just tinkering, you know, we were hanging out. That's how it started. And um, I was just searching for, I was searching for acceptance by my dad. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear him tell me that he was proud of me. And I actually got into an argument with him and threw him out of my house at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Because he couldn't tell me that he was ever, he couldn't tell me when the last time he was proud of me. And that hurt so much, you know. And um, he passed away while I was locked up, just like my mom did. And all I can remember is thinking that, that you know, he never said that he was proud of me, you know. I just couldn't get over, over it, you know. I, I feared this. I feared it. And my nightmares was becoming reality. And uh, sadly enough, it took my dad passing away for me to come to realization that I was in a vicious spiral, a vicious circle mm-hmm. of drugs. And I was out of control. I had a woman that loved me and was fighting for me. I had a son. Mm-hmm. And it, it means the world to me, and I mean the world to him. And uh, I just, I wanted so badly to to make him proud. And it, it's taken him passing away for me to change my life. Yeah. So what, what was, what was the time when you, when that big change came? When was that? Tell was, us a little bit about that. I've been going to counseling for, for several years um, during this whole time being on paper. And uh, I was working on the grieving of my dad and my mom both, but I was still using drugs. Yeah. And uh, we had roommates that lived with us that they had drugs in the house, and we just never had food, and they were just offering drugs for rent, and we didn't have, and I'm like, this doesn't put food on the table, you know, and um, I started building up so much hatred in my heart that one night I just couldn't take it anymore. I was going to go and kiss my son and my now wife while they were sleeping, and I was going to kill our roommates. Mm. And I just couldn't, I didn't have the strength in my legs because I knew better. But I was ready to throw my life away so that they didn't have to deal with it anymore and I didn't have to deal with it anymore. And God had a different plan. Mm. Um, that night I, I gave up the gun and uh, I hit my knees. I cried and I begged for forgiveness and I wanted to change my life. And I didn't know anything else and it weighed heavy on me that I didn't know anything else other than selling drugs and that drug lifestyle. And, that I didn't know anybody in the contacts in my phone that I could reach out to that didn't use drugs. Wow. Hmm. Wow. And uh, I was not a, I was not 100% honest when I got up from my knees of turning my life over to Christ that night. My legs wouldn't hold me up. They trembled, and I collapsed again. I knew I was cheating God because I had a little bit more drugs left. Mm-hmm. And I could just feel the discouragement in in my every every ounce of my being. Mm-hmm. I could feel I could feel his grace and I could feel his mercy. 
but he's like, yeah, there's a little bit more, though. There's a little conviction. There's happened. a little bit more. Right? You conviction. know, that's not all. Yeah. That's yeah. not all. And this is all wow. at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's freezing cold, and I'm praying the whole time, and I go outside, and I stomp all these drugs into the earth, and uh, I just felt this this abundance of overwhelming love and this joy of letting go. I felt the weight of the world was off my shoulders. Mm. You had some people praying for you, right? Yeah. Tell me uh, about your grandparents. My grandparents, uh, both grandfathers, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, they were both pastors. And uh, my grandmothers um, both were part of the church and led the singing and played the piano and the guitar. And there's one family member um, that lives out here that I felt that I could relate to. And I reached out one day to him um, because I wanted to know something else yeah. other than drugs. And he was uh, more than happy to accept my phone call. Um, we talked and Everything that he had to say, most of it, was was good to hear. But there was a lot of other things that I wasn't trying to hear. And uh, it comes, you know, it comes down to most most of the things that you don't want to hear is probably exactly what you need to hear. Yeah. We need people like that in our life, don't we? Yeah. And um, he informed me that he was... A leader of a group out here, he could get me a job. You know, I just needed to needed to put all that behind me and start over. And uh, that was God's grace working. He actually prayed uh, during um, step study with men um, over a Zoom meeting. None of these men, none of these people, none of these. Pastor Margaret didn't know me. It was all of our leaders. They all prayed, and there was a, the presence of the Lord, and he was, he was working, and we didn't even know it. And uh, it was probably about a month later, um, I, I made the hardest decision, and not only making that decision, but took the largest step of faith mm. that I've ever taken in my life. And I tell you that if... It wasn't for my son coming out here, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. And if my dad was still alive, I'd still be in Kansas. Yeah. And so you and your son boarded a plane, Kansas City. Yep. Charlottesville. <laughs> and um, you joined the Celebrate Recovery family. You yeah. had a cousin here, and he, um, he was the connection. I'll never forget the night we prayed for you. We prayed heaven down. It was Probably the first Zoom prayer meeting that I'd been on, okay? Um, it was early pandemic stuff, and a few things happened. A few things happened. Um, you and Liam showed up here, and I think there was a group of guys that come around you through Celebrate Recovery, and uh, I remember one day, um, you and your son went for a little drive out towards Switzer Dam. Yep. You went out there, and from what I remember, you and Liam prayed that Ashley might, that God might leave his mom out here to Virginia. For us to be a happy family. Yeah. 
And uh, how long was it until she showed up? Two weeks. Oh, goodness. It was like uh, 16 days. Yeah, it was. Oh. It wasn't much over two weeks. And she was, and she drove, right? Oh, yeah. She all, drove. All the way here, straight yeah. through. Yeah. And so what happened next? I uh, asked her to make me the happiest man in the world mm. and to be my wife. And uh, she said yes. And I was so ecstatic, and I went straight to Pastor Margaret, and I felt that she was the one that I wanted to to marry us. Mm-hmm. And she was more than happy. Um, she didn't question it one time. And we actually uh, said, said our vows in the same spot that me and my son prayed, just several months before and uh, on August 22nd um, we were married and it'll be uh, 10 years this year that we've been together but we'll be married for one year this August and not only did she make you a happy man but Liam a really happy little boy yeah definitely Uh, to watch him that day at the wedding, um, and just to be there, surrounded by your CR family, it was raining. Yeah. Spiritual blessings that day, oh, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> oh yeah, all the way around. And so, yeah, it's it's amazing. Hasn't quite been a year since you made that trip. You and Ashley both have had your, and we'll get Ashley in here one day, and we we'll get her share her part of the story. It's hers to tell. But um, you all both have been through a lot. Um, And just to see how you all have both leaned in to healing, to becoming a family unit, uh, it's been amazing to watch your journey, see God working in your life, to see how you could go from a place of hopelessness to a place where you would have never dreamed last May that you would be married and you would have your own home and you would have jobs and a car and living clean, living in the grace of God. From death to life. Yep. Ashes to beauty. It's a beautiful story. Uh, This is just a little bit of the story, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, But it is beautiful. I, I wonder... Um, what you would have to say today to anyone listening that might not feel like they have hope, whether it's for themselves or for someone else, what would you say to them? Someone that just doesn't have hope. Remember back how you felt back on Mother's Day last year? Just reach out, just call upon God. Um, Ultimately, uh, give all your stresses and all your doubts to him. Uh, reach out to somebody, anybody, um, anybody that'll listen. I know a lot of times, whenever we pray, it doesn't seem like anybody's listening, you know. But uh, sometimes being patient in the wait, God's always listening when we call upon him. Yeah, you know, and we're very, very short with patience 
on, you know, we, we want instant mm-hmm. answers. You know, we want things to change when we want it. But it's all in God's time. And just don't lose the faith, you know. Just always, always strive for uh, for the love of God. Um, know that you are loved. Know that people do care. Know that no day or night can, none of the darkest times can keep you there. You're always going to prevail. You always will, you know, find a way. You just have to keep the faith and uh, just pray, and uh, he's listening. Yeah, and you know we can um, we can try it on our own strength, or we can cry out to God and ask for Him and His strength, and He does it for us. And to try to do it on our own will will only take us down a dark, dead end road. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can cry out at the end of that dead end road, and God will be there. Oh, He's yeah. just waiting for us to make that 180 and turn to Him. And um, He'll take it from there, right? right? Yes, He will. Yeah, Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Lewis, thank you for joining us uh, for Hope Talks today and sharing your testimony. It's been great to have you. And uh, also, what a great testimony of death to life, uh, beauty from ashes. And that's the type of hope that... Christ died on the cross and rose on Easter Sunday um, to give us that type of hope. And uh, so we pray that today's broadcast has truly been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.